UK Motor Talk. Well, hello there, and welcome to UK Motor Talk. We're here, most of us, and I hope you are all keeping well. I'm joined by my compatriots, Graham. Hello, Graham. Hello, good evening. You well? I'm very well, and you? Excellent, not too bad, thank you. And Jim over there in another part of Sceptodile. How are you, Jim? All well? Good evening, yes, not too bad, not too bad. It's been quite a nice, sunny, warm, dry day today, hasn't it? So, in a, in a bit of a contrast to the weather conditions in Japan over the weekend. Well, we're going to get onto that in a second, aren't we? It's been a very eventful weekend and uh, pivotal for the fortunes of a certain member of the Formula One establishment. I think you're about to take us on a bit of a bit of a trip around Suzuka and everything that transpired there on what was, as you say, a very wet weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's always a good weekend, Suzuka. First off, it's a, it's a classic track and it's a, it's narrow, it's fast, there's, there's not a bad corner on the circuit. It's great to be back there after, I think we've had, what, 2019 was the last one and we've had a few years off for COVID and... Uh, Still some COVID precautions and restrictions going on there, but the uh, the fans out in force as ever and the uh, the fancy dress, the quality of the replica race suits or the scale model cars they have on their hats or the gifts that they all prepare for the drivers. It's, you know, if, uh, if I could only ever do one race, if my uh, competition to drive an Alpine F1 car does turn out to be their... Uh, um, oh, actually, no, it's too late for that now because we've had driver news, spoiler alert. But uh, yeah, if, uh, if you ever got to drive one race, I think Suzuka would uh, would have to be right up there, A, for the track, but B, for the country itself and the fans. It's uh, it's, it's always a cracking weekend, and uh, I quite like getting up early to watch it, and then uh, in the old days just watching it on that slightly odd frame rate and slightly odd TV format. It always just looked a bit different, a bit more exciting. But I had to, uh, had to work on, uh, on Saturday, which was a bit irritating, so I couldn't quite give qualifying my full attention but the uh, the top four for the grid was no surprise it was uh, Verstappen then Leclerc, Sainz and Perez uh, and then the Alpines the Mercedes etc McLaren's just outside the top 10 and the rest of them so uh, I don't think there are any uh, any two great surprises uh, in qualifying uh, lots of uh, rain in uh, in the practice sessions beforehand and uh, a bit of driving news as uh, as i just said so it turns out my competition to drive an alpine car isn't actually a, a shootout for next season's race seat as we had the rumored movement of pierre gasly to alpine has come off which means nick de vries now has a seat at alpha terry so i'm uh, i'm quite excited about the uh, the all french lineup and uh, particularly the animosity that's always existed uh, since they were young kids between Gasly and Ocon. They really, really do not like each other, those two. It's uh, if, if you think, um, you know, childhood friends of Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton and then think about the relationship at the end and how, uh, how frosty they were, I think Gasly and Ocon have been that frosty since they were about 10 years old. But it's, uh, it's very good news that Nick de Vries is in uh, Alpha Tauri, so that's quite exciting, a nice little shuffle round for next year. What do we think? It's quite remarkable that he's had to wait so long. I mean, he's been so successful in the lower formula, and that, you know, he's, he's, he's jumping into an F1 seat at uh, 27. That's middle-aged in F1 terms. It's really, really quite so extraordinary. There's no hope for me then, is there? Well, uh, certainly it isn't for me. Uh, your comment about how wonderful Suzuka is, I always remember as a kid, uh, and that was a long time ago, the Scalextric you really, really wanted to own was the one of Suzuka because it was the one where the cars would fall off most often. It had more corners and it had that dramatic elevation change. 
I haven't got it anymore. That's a pity. I'm sure it'll be worth a fortune. I always loved Suzuka because it had a big Ferris wheel in the middle of it. I'm easily pleased, but it was obviously a way of uh, spotting that you were at Suzuka. And like you say, Jim, it was always that little bit more exotic, wasn't it? A, it involved a very early start or or a very late going to bed, depending if you'd stayed up the night before. But it also indeed did have the old Japanese TV coverage, which was always that little bit smeary and a little bit off colour because of boring technical reasons that we won't go into here but yes it had a lot going for it and so much pedigree as well there's been so many um how should we say uh controversial outcomes of that race not least at the end of the 80s beginning of the 90s between certain and Senna and Alain Prost which we all know about but uh, going back in time a little bit further back than that James Hunt won his uh, championship there in slightly edge of the seat circumstances as well and this weekend has been no different they ran a very very nice video at the Senna on a qualifying lap which I think was 88 89 at Suzuka uh, it's just it's just totally, totally different to the modern F1 car with gear changing and furious changes of direction and um, obviously much skinnier tyres. Level of grip was uh, a, a lot less, but, you know, it did just remind me and, and I'm sure a lot of others of just what a genius Ayrton Senna was. Very much so. Very much so. There's a there's another video of him as well. I think the famous one is of him going round Monaco on a qualifying lap and um, how he made it round in one piece. It's, it's otherworldly. And he did actually say, didn't he, that God was his co-pilot and he was in the hands of God. And whatever happened was fate, which is terrifying for anyone else who has to share the track with him. But when you see it in isolation like that, the onboard cockpit view of the man in his office, to use the phrase, uh, it is like nothing else he it was he was in another league when he was on form which was most of the time he was above head and shoulders above everyone else certainly in my estimation anyway yeah i quite agree except when he picked a fight with mr prost two years running both times at suzuka i think it was uh it was one all at uh at suzuka wasn't it one incident was probably more senna's fault but it was payback for the year before which was uh certainly not his fault so i think the uh the karma was uh certainly in evidence there it was call it one all and uh, and everybody goes home happy at the end of that but uh, at least uh, everybody got to uh, to go home happy after a couple of years i think there's a, a bit of few people going home uh, with a certain amount of confusion after the race but we'll, uh, we'll try not to get ahead of ourselves too much on that it was um you know the the weather playing a part at this weekend as it did in singapore but at least uh, at least this time round i didn't get up at half five in the morning just to sit there and watch it rain for a couple of hours well not initially anyway uh, it was a uh, a very wet start to the proceedings but the visibility I mean I've, I've spoken about this before and compared it in my own rather feeble way to that day out at Brands Hatch driving single seater F4 cars and and that was terrifying enough so God only knows well we, we saw what it was like the the advent of the visor cam or the the helmet cam that we've had this year really does highlight how how blind you're driving in these conditions it was a uh, wet start to the race and, and everybody got under the way actually the first couple of corners were all quite neat and tidy verstappen with a, a not so good start but stuck it out round the outside and uh, and held the lead but um just coming out of the hairpin there were uh, a few spins and things and carlos Sainz losing it uh, as well in in fairly spectacular form on what what's normally a nothing corner suddenly turns into uh, to quite an eventful 
corner, the left-hander just before the hairpin, which is, is nothing in the dry. You just flick it right, line yourself up on the right-hand side for the hairpin. Lost it into there in, uh, in fairly spectacular fashion. The onboards from Gasly when the advertising hoarding popped out and, uh, <laughs> and witched itself over the front of his car, out of nowhere, absolutely no chance to, to react to that or see that or anything. But I think if we, if we sort of discuss the, the first controversial talking point of the weekend, which was the recovery vehicle, the tractor that was yes. on the circuit at the same time as Formula One cars, at Suzuka of all circuits, it's it beggars belief that that was allowed to happen. There's certain things that, that the FIA really need to get their house in order over. There's this, there's the point system, and there's the cost cap, which we'll get onto at the end, as we've actually had a... a not all the news, but we've had a bit of news on that. But Jules Bianchi tragically lost his life having uh, having crashed into a recovery vehicle, albeit under double wave yellow conditions. But visibility and, and drivers pushing it, you know, that he's the reason that we have the virtual safety car and things like that. I thought the FIA's statement to, to blame Gasly for driving too fast was just so far off the mark. It's absolute nonsense. It's absolutely scurrilous. Beyond where the recovery vehicle was, he was driving at a certain speed, but he had cleared the accident by then. The red flag lights came out on his dashboard a second, a second and a half before he appeared on the same bit of track as the recovery vehicle. And at that point, he's trying to control his car through a right-hander and control wheel spin, and he's virtually blind with the spray. There's no, absolutely no reason for putting that vehicle out there. He was right to be incandescent. And again, to be honest, I think yeah, it was reminiscent. So. Well, I've gone past it sod what the speed limit is i'm going back i'm chasing somebody down and i'm going to have a word with them it was you know schumacher belgium levels of of apoplectic rage which is is quite right too i i just do not get how they can how it can happen i don't understand well it seems as though he'd um where he'd pitted to get the uh offending debris off the front of the car uh it seems as though the marshals and the, the race organizers and particularly the rescue vehicle, just didn't realise he'd be there. They, they assumed once the pack had gone through trailing behind the safety car, that that was it. That was the entire field. And of course, you know, he was doing his best to catch up with the pack, quite rightly so, and perfectly entitled to do so. And it was absolutely horrifying that this thing should come out of the gloom just in front of him. This is how these guys earn their living, by having wits that are that sharp and reactions that are that quick. He was driving to his delta time on the dashboard. So when the apparently so the, yeah the yellow lights red lights VSC etc whenever anything like that's happening they get a delta time on the dashboard that they have to stick to and he was sticking to that and it is just as much of an offence in terms of penalties race time stop and go drive through for driving excessively slowly behind the safety car as it is driving too quickly behind the safety car so they they get told to almost switch off brain engage stick to speed limit. And uh, and that's what they have to do. But it was um, no, the, uh, yeah, it's and and then I was I was particularly upset by some of the uh, the punditry and the TV coverage again laying the the blame at Gasly's door to have a recovery vehicle on the track when that's going on. And you you look at how little visibility there was and how little lighting was on the back of that recovery vehicle, lights or no lights, safety car, no safety car, red lights, whatever's going on. 
A Formula One car needs to maintain a certain speed to, to maintain a bit of heat in its tyres, a bit of heat in its brakes, etc. To maintain, to be honest, a bit of downforce. So Formula One cars have more grip the faster they go. So to, to say, oh, just drive at 25 miles an hour is is not accurate and not conducive to uh, to a good handling F1 mm, car. Mm. It'd be useless at 20 miles an hour. You've only got to see what happens when it's a, a slightly damp track at the, the hairpin at Monaco, and they, they'll have comical accidents. And you think, you know, you could ride around there quicker on a push bike than you could an F1 car. Yeah, I just, it, there, there needs to be a, a serious investigation, but with some serious, open and honest action that's that's going to happen to that. But I think, or maybe just even, you know, it, uh, communication, the communication just needs to improve there was no information that that vehicle was there because i'm sure if the team had got in gasly's ear and said you know recovery vehicle on track recovery vehicle on track slow 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 then he'd have been aware of it and would have adjusted his line and his driving accordingly but as it was i think the the corner as he was approaching is a right hander so he's naturally looking right anyway he's not looking left and so you you wouldn't see the record, but they had marshals on the circuit as well. He was he was yards away from a marshal. I you don't you don't send marshals onto a live racetrack anymore. Why race control and the FIA did what they did is is staggering. And and everybody was lucky to walk away from that weekend. To be honest, quite so, quite so. Do race control have the ability to overrule the radio and actually talk direct to a driver, do we know? Because, I mean, they could arguably have spoken to him and said, you are on the same track as someone with a great big dirty tractor, so watch out. I mean, or could they not then pass that information to the team to pass that information on via radio as well? Everyone's connected these days. I mean, everyone's got a radio. All the marshals have a radio. It strikes me, as you mentioned there, Jim, that it's just an almost tragic, poor communication situation a lack of communication when the ability to communicate on the circuit must be so easy it's untrue yeah i think it's uh it's it's almost like the the person who's reading the rule book and is applying the rules doesn't tell people what he's thinking he just merely applies the rules and expects everybody to know not only what rule he has applied, but why he's applied it. And some of the rules are open to interpretation, or some of the rules are at the race director's discretion. You know, not to drag Abu Dhabi last year up, but let's drag it up. That was (laughs) technically within the wording of the rules, because there were certain prefixes to certain rules in the sporting regulations that said at the race director's discretion, and include words like may, as opposed to can, will, have to. Is, is, is that little fine line that Charlie Whiting, God rest him, always trod so well just throughout his experience, but his respect for the drivers and the drivers' respect for him as well. When Charlie spoke, they listened, and, and that was it. But there the needs to be more show you're working. And I, I know within the team radios there is a, um, a button where certain people can press it, and that overrides absolutely everyone. So obviously within all the teams, you know, there'll be people on the pit wall talking to people back at base, the drivers, the A team, the B team, the strategy team, whatever else. And there are certain buttons that you can press that over overrides absolutely everything so all other communications shut down and everybody goes into listen only mode if you hit this button because you have something really important to say so yeah absolutely why not have have a race director button that that overrides absolutely every single bit of communication to teams drivers everyone so everybody hears the same message at the same time i don't think that system exists as far as i'm aware but the 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 protocol i think has always been and i mean this is adopted from 
uh, Capcom at uh, NASA, if the driver's engineer hits his button, that overrides everybody else in an emergency. And he has the ability to effectively clear the airwaves to talk directly to that driver. But clearly his engineer in this instance wasn't aware of the developing situation, which is just a communications disaster. No, but again, at, at the time when the when there are so early on in a race uh, in such conditions when other virtual safety cars, safety cars, red flags, etc., a lot of the thought of the teams instantly goes to strategy. What do we do? Do we pit? Do we box? Where are they? How, how do we get an advantage out of this? Because they're it's a motor race at the end of the day. The aim is to finish first. So everybody will, will naturally sway towards the, is it our driver in the wall? No, okay, fine. How can I get him a few places up the order? Is is everybody's thought? It's not which bit of the circuit is in, and do I need to give him any information there? Because, no, the dashboard takes care of that. The delta takes care of that. The marshals, the flags, the race control take care of all that. The The strategists have to run the strategy and the race engineers have to engineer the race it's it's not on them to convey messages about where vehicles are on track because the FIA have that information far more than the teams do but it was mm. um yeah it was a uh, we had a red flag the uh, the rain got uh, got rather rather more intense so it was it was about what a 40 45 minute delay before uh, the rain eased off and we could get going again but of course here was the uh, was the giveaway for the end of the race we had a red flag the race was suspended but could restart so there's uh, that that point is important as so we'll come back to that later but it was um yeah we, we had quite a, a few drivers jump into the pits very early doors for inters to uh, to try and make up their race vettel who'd had a, a rather spectacular but lucky spin uh, off the start line uh, had dropped all the way to the back um came straight into the pits for uh, for inters was was quicker straight away you know vettel had said after the race uh, the full wet tires need to just get a lot better yes they're better at clearing the water but they're slower so you have a choice of two do you want to go quicker or slower well it's a motor race so you choose the quicker tire uh, which is not necessarily the best at, at clearing the water so again we need more work on the full wet tires or do the FIA just mandate wet tires and they run it for a certain amount of time and then flick a switch and pit lane open you may now put on intermediate tires you know just as the FIA mandate a wet start you must start on wet tires keep that in place for longer wet tires compulsory and that'll clear the track of water quicker yeah it is uh, the effect of wet tires I, I remember not entirely connected but uh, seeing uh, a lot of dragsters running up and down the strip at Santa Pod years ago on a very wet Sunday morning because the quickest way of getting the rain back into the air was to, to run these very wide tyres up and down the strip. So they were just doing long trips up and back. And it was very effective because after half an hour, 45 minutes of that, then we could go racing again. So, you know, wet tyres to start had to be the way. As an aside here, just driving to work yesterday morning in what was pretty unpleasant weather, it was absolutely hammering down. And it's not quite the same as hurtling around Suzuka, sort of crawling up the A4 to London. But seeing the amount of water that's being lifted off the road by a car in front that's got a proper tread depth is really quite impressive. And it does make you realise just how much you can get off the, off the tarmac with a decent set of tyres. So, I mean, if that's your standard sort of Dunlop or Hankooks or whatever that was fitted to the car in front of me, imagine what a Formula One tyre can do. And you can only assume that they are working night and day to try and sort of get back to the situation where the wet tyres, as I remember them, were the by far the quicker ones to have in conditions that I have seen 
that were at Suzuka this weekend. There's something wrong where you're having to, as you say, Jim, make a choice between getting round safely or getting round fast and safely. Some, somebody's dropped a ball here by the looks of it. So I think it's a, a, a lack of testing uh, ability because it's a very specific set of conditions that, that you need to go testing in. But, you know, sprinklers at the side of the track. But, you know, as, as I said on that, that Formula 4 day, I've, I've never experienced anything like that before. It was, it was the following the rain light of the car in front, and that was literally all I could see, unless I looked very left or very just peripheral vision. It like it was Bransatch, and and I know you know I've driven uh, quite a few track days and and quite a few laps around there. So you know I know which way it goes left and right, unlike Nicholas Latifi in free practice. But that's another story. Uh, and so <laughs> you know I know where I'm going, but it, it was literally follow the rain light, and that's it. You pick the the brake marker boards out out of your peripheral vision. And then wait till you get to a slow corner, and the spray drops down. But on the uh, on the back straight and on the pit straight, a hundred percent blind. It's it it was it was the most eerie experience. I can only liken it to um, wearing glasses walking into a sauna. Just that instant fog up and that instant blindness, and all you can see in the distance is is a flashing red led light and that's it but it's uh, certainly on a day like this where they earn their money but yeah the uh, the whoever stopped for intermediates earlier certainly had a better race of it and uh, i think well schumacher uh mick schumacher actually led the race for a for a couple of yards until verstappen reeled him in and then passed him but it was uh, it was nice to see him lead over the line anyway but it was um yeah this one i've written down in my notes we moved into column two half points dot 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 and i always write dot 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 as in this is ominous i need to expand on this further or we'll come but i wrote that at the time being completely mm. unaware of uh, of what was going to happen because it said on the screen oh we're on half points now so i thought oh, okay that's fine we're, we're getting there the racing was spectacular all the way up and down there were some really 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 good scraps between people hamilton and, and ocon in particular and uh, again in my notes i've just put if it was me i'd pit now for fresh inters reports of further rain and uh, again i think that comes to the fore at the end of the race but it was um george russell had a good charge all the, all the way back up through the grid having been fairly far down the order to start off with whoever then stopped for fresh inters suddenly went a bit quicker guan yu Joe took the honour of the fastest lap of the race weekend and they stopped for fresh inters and was six seconds a lap quicker than his teammate at that stage. So uh, it showed how uh, how much time you could make <laughs> up putting fresh tyres on. Alonso took the gamble and, and stopped for, uh, for fresh inters as well. But up front, none of the top sort of five or six stopped for fresh tyres being fairly comfortable with all their gaps as they were. And the, uh, the best scrap for most... I mean, Ver Verstappen, I think we saw Verstappen at the start... Verstappen at the restart and then I don't think we saw him too much after that he he just sodded off in a league of his own he was he was on absolutely on another planet all the way through he was 20 seconds plus in front of everybody else and it just illustrated just what a superior talent he is at the moment he's a perfect example of, of man and machinery in perfect harmony I mean I think it was as you say I think he was yeah 26 second gap just a phenomenal pace advantage that he had reminiscent of Belgium I think he was he was just in a league of one and that was it but the uh, the scrap between Perez and Leclerc was um was certainly spectacular and uh came to uh came to a head right at the end right into the last chicane on the last lap Charles Leclerc 
running wide through the chicane, having to uh, take a slight shortcut. I think he was uh, he was in trouble for that. Well, he was in trouble for that, but also the way he ran Perez out of room on the exit as well. I think it was uh, if it if it wasn't cutting a corner and gaining a lasting advantage, it was certainly rejoining the track in an unsafe manner. It was a little bit Vettel at Canada, so if he didn't get done for one, he'd have got done for the other. But of course, at this stage, we're we're all thinking it's um it's not irrelevant but it's uh it's not championship deciding you know we, we've known for quite a while the championship mm. is is heading max's way but as the graphic kept telling us we're on half points and that's it so we all assumed half yes. points and yeah they, they all crossed the line but it was uh it was a surprisingly rapid decision from the fia but i think it was uh, at this stage the fia knew how important their decision was going to be because they knew it was championship deciding but he uh he got a, a five second penalty for leaving the track and, uh, and gaining a lasting advantage. So although he crossed the line second, the actual finishing order was for Stappen, Perez, Leclerc. And, uh, and I, I don't know, it was the most anticlimactic championship announcement I've ever seen. So I, th- I think, first of all, Max didn't believe it. He didn't, didn't understand it. There was Jonathan Wheatley, I believe, on the Red Bull pit lane that was busy rifling through the wordings, the regulations, trying to work out if it was accurate or not. The, uh, the graphics kept saying... 25 points but I'd, I'd flicked away from um, the driver tracker that I normally have on during the race to look at something on the points and just do a rundown and work out because I, I thought it was only you know one more point would have done it for him based on uh, on Perez finishing second but it was about everywhere I was looking said 25 points oh no that's not right because it's not that's it and then I was look, I started looking up the rules and trying to work it out in in my own head, what the points gap was. And as I said, it's like, hang on, no, this this everywhere says 25 points. Formula1.com says 25 points. So I'm presuming they know slightly more about it than I do. And it's, oh, hang on, I think he's he's won this. And the crown started appearing and, and it started to look like it was, it was official. The thing which we perhaps need to stress is that he needed to be eight points clear to take the title in ordinary circumstances. Yes, a win, a win and a fastest lap, wasn't it? Re- regardless yeah, of what anybody it. else did. A- exactly so. And the way they crossed the line with the expectation, because everybody was saying half points, half points, uh, half points, yes, it's appropriate, half points, it didn't seem likely that he'd won the championship. And I, I think all of the team bosses were confused. Christian Horner afterwards uh, admitted he didn't know. Nobody seemed to, to, to know at first. and That's really not good enough. I mean, a decision was taken, and it was taken very quickly. And it's admirable that we finally got some rapid decisions. I don't necessarily agree that uh, Charles did gain an advantage. Personally, I don't think that rule should have been applied in that circumstance. But there we are. That's my personal oh, yeah. view. Yeah, he absolutely I, did I, I, gain a lasting I, I, advantage. He was in front, and he was in front. I don't see how that's a lasting advantage, but there we are. Because he took a shortcut. The lasting advantage was not being overtaken. He stayed in front, but actually if you look at the course of that he tracked, it's actually not a shortcut, it's a long cut, because it's slightly further to travel than it is to stay on the track. But it's it's I'm splitting hairs, I know, but I just felt that it was the, the wrong application of that rule just at that time. Nevertheless, you know, Verstappen was going to be champion if not today, certainly next race. I think it's interesting we will now have 15 world champions line up on the grid. 15 world championships, should we say. Quite so. 
15 World Championships. As we're about to discuss, the uh, the precise wording is uh, is very important because, uh, as you say, it should have almost been, uh, do you agree with the penalty or not, or should it have been one for this or not? It, was, it, it, it shouldn't have really mattered, let's be honest. It was a penalty, you know, a drive-through penalty after the race, five seconds added to your time after the race, uh, back-of-the-grid penalty for a power unit change, and then because you're McLaren in the early days of the Honda partnership, you end up with a 379-place grid penalty. Well, once you go past 19 <laughs> places, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't have mattered. You're actually at the tail of the grid four races <laughs> in the future. Your penalties, you know, you have to you have to start from Singapore. But aren't we racing in Japan? Yes, but you start from Singapore. Okay, I'll get there when I can. But there was, like I say, it, it shouldn't have mattered. What the, the, the wording around points, half points, three-quarter points, whatever else, was if the race is suspended and cannot be resumed. The, the rule was written post-Belgium last year, so that if we only have a, a lap or two behind the safety car, that's not a race. You can't declare anything out of it. And there's, there's a few other rules thrown in to say there have to be a certain number of racing laps i.e. not behind the uh, the safety car or virtual safety car which which is all fine is is all well and good but if the race is suspended and cannot be restarted was was the the beginning caveat you know it, it would almost yes. be like having yeah. a line at the beginning of the bible that says this book is entirely fictitious and any relation or resemblance to persons living or dead is entirely coincidental you know to to my cousin Maud and to my aunt Jeffrey and whatever else you know that that changes the whole meaning of the book and and the wording at the beginning of the regulation of cannot be restarted means that all the discussion about points and all the graphics that were being thrown up were entirely pointless. It, it was full point. It was all I, compl I completely disagree. Completely disagree with this because the, the race didn't run, although it ran to the time limit, you know, there was the, there was the delay and the start and the red flag and the weather conditions and whatever else. It, it wasn't the Grand Prix, you know, it, it wasn't the full distance that it, that it needs to adhere to. So, it shouldn't have been full points. And I think, you know, even Christian Horner said, I don't think that should have been full points. You know, very relaxed about the mm. whole situation because they're going to win it anyway. So he would be relaxed about it. But it was it was just the, the way he was told and didn't quite believe it. And then went into the cool-down room and then, oh, we've got a room here just for uh, reserve for world champion. He's like, but I'm not. Yeah, you are. Am I? Yeah. Oh, good. Mm. And and you know we didn't we didn't get to see the the elation crossing the line the relief the the release the emotion we 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 didn't get to see any of that and it was it it just left the the championship again for Verstappen with a kind of uh, feeling and and then cue all of the um the the social media comments about I I did see one that said oh the FIA have just handed him another championship and he's like no I'm fairly certain he's been handing everybody else their arse for the last. 16 races since they've ironed out the reliability niggles and, and got the car dialed into his liking he's taken the championship but it was it was just the way it was finally awarded just just felt a bit flat to me red bull have obviously as, as has been proven this weekend have been pretty much ruling the roost in the in the latter stages particularly but what is it that they and obviously ferrari have got right this year that uh, the much vaunted and uh, successful over many, many recent seasons Mercedes haven't. What have they done to the car? What's their strategy? What is it about the design of the car and obviously having the right driver for the right car? But what, what have they done that Mercedes failed to? It's Adrian Newey. It's, yeah, yeah it's the, always, the, the it's two a, words it's are always Adrian, Adrian Newey. Adrian Newey. 
yeah, that's yeah, that's it. it. If the, the conventional yeah. wisdom since the early nineties has been, you either need Adrian Newey or Michael Schumacher in order mm-hmm. to win, and and it was like that for all the way through the nineties and uh, and the certainly early to mid two thousands until Alonso came along and and toppled Schumacher off, and Adrian was just seeking pastures new for Red Bull and and building up that side. But then it only took him a couple of years at at Red Bull to turn that into an all-dominant team. So again, all you needed was Adrian Newey through the Vettel years. Mercedes, I think certainly early on in their domination period, a lot of it was engine-based, but the the engine Mm. advantages allowed them to put so much of their time and effort and research into the rest of the car everybody else was was having to split their time and resources between the two but it's um yeah it's, it's adrian newey he wrote his thesis on ground effect so he he just has this this wonderful ability to see airflow and to understand it in a way that not many people can and computer programs can't understand it the way he can you know i think our uh, our WhatsApp discussion that we were having, we randomly got into the subject of um, of music, and then a few bits. And I think it was uh, something about Sid Barrett and uh, and drugs, and what about Gilmore? And then you know, well, we wouldn't have had live at Pompeii and comfortably numb. And you know, if if you ever needed proof that there was something beyond the world or the life that we see, you just you know, you watch that solo and and. And and it's otherworldly. It's 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 mythical. It's magical. It's it's ethereal. It's wonderful. But you could never teach. A, you know, you could program those notes into a computer, but it would never feel them and never play them. You can program all the numbers you like into a computer, but Adrian just has that ability to understand and and have his head around it. I mean, it's to to say it's Adrian New is obviously doing a disservice to the entire rest of the Red Bull organization, and there's 145 million, give or take 10 percent or 5 percent worth of people there. Never mind about the top three paid ones, etc. But we'll get onto that shortly. It's it's the the ground effect. And and just the overall concept of that grand effect. Mercedes are certainly early on an example of how when you get grand effect wrong, you get the porpoising, and it and it took them half the mm. season to get their head around the issues, and then they could start developing the car and make it quicker. The rule changes for this season then effectively changed the balance between aerodynamics and engine power, which disadvantaged Mercedes because they they didn't in the earlier stages get the aerodynamics particularly the floor of the car right and they were hacking about at it and cutting bits off and adding bits on and so on it's still any of the cameras aboard any of the mercedes cars you you'll still see their pitching they're not kangarooing in in as bad as they were they've gradually eased that out but they then lack the the advantage of the superior power because red bull clearly have as much power now but they have vastly superior aerodynamics and the guy behind the wheel is 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 on a roll you know he's convinced of his own abilities i think he's now convinced all of us of his uh, abilities and he's the class act of the field interesting it does make you wonder what whether if uh, we had someone i i guess newey is in that sort of genius level that colin chapman was able to inhabit and to a certain degree, I guess, sort of Gordon Murray when he was playing in Formula One. It was somebody who just had that ability to see and understand things naturally. It was an innate talent. I just mentioned this in passing. I was interviewing Adrian Newey some years ago, 
and he took a call from the FIA and there was a dispute over or disagreement over a, a, a point of his design. And I was privy to the first few sentences and then he withdrew promising to come back later, which he did about 10 minutes later. And basically all I got out of it was, well, I won that one. So, you know, he's, he's, it was all about interpreting the rules. He's, he's just better at it than, or has been for many years now, better at it than anybody else. Christian Horner said of him years ago, this is not a man who thinks out of the box. He, while he's at it, will just redesign the box to suit his own purposes. And I think uh, Adrian Newey's one of those people that, that takes just as much out of what the rules don't say as what they do say, and that's something I've tried to uh, to learn from. And and when I've had conversations with, well, you can't do that because of this. You know, but it doesn't say that I can't do this. It just says I should do this, not that you can't. Mm. No, the rules say you can't do that. And I say, but yeah, it doesn't say I can't do something else. And that's 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 quite an important uh, important lesson to learn. But it's uh, it was, I was just trying to to think back through the last time a driver became world champion when they were outside of the car. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking Schumacher 94 when he punted Damon out and he was out of the car and then somebody told him that Damon had retired so he became champion all of the rest of the time. I think it's all the way through, I think 95 won it on the track, 6, 7, you know, it's, you know, Villeneuve crossed the line to win. Wasn't it Jochen Rindt? Uh, well, he'd have been, what, 70? He was well outside the car when uh, when he won the world championship. So. Yeah, he'd been dead some while, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, since um, 94, I, I can't think, you know, it's always been by by virtue of crossing the line in whatever position you need to uh, to take it. I just thought it's odd that right, you, know, so. you learn your world champion in, in the cool-down room. It's it's very, very odd to me. It was, um, But uh, just uh, just before we uh, we digress on to anything else, shout out to uh, the man dubbed the greatest of all time, Gotifi, Nicholas Latifi, who had managed to get lost on uh, on the track in uh, in free practice and turned down a random escape road for finishing ninth. I thought he did rather well there. So in a 20-car... In a championship he is no longer 22nd he is now 20th which is uh, which is quite encouraging for him but it was good to see him get a couple of points there will it keep him in the williams seat no so uh, just as a uh, wrap up for the uh, the weekend really is uh, daniel ricardo in the build up to it saying it's it's looking un- increasingly unlikely that he's going to be on the grid for next year which is um Really, really sad news from uh, a sporting Great point pity. of view, a personality point of view. He's uh, he's a phenomenal driver and a very likable chap. So, fingers crossed, something uh, something happens for him, or he can rediscover his love for the sport and get in in, in a seat worthy of a driver of his caliber. I think there's only Haas and Williams left. I haven't heard his name being mentioned too much around Haas. So, Williams as a possibility if if he can go there with a long term view and and help them build back up again. But I think it's is looking like he year off and see what opens up for 2024 but fingers crossed for him and uh, whatever he ends up racing next year if he does end up racing I'll, uh, I'll certainly be tuning into that but uh, yeah regardless of um, how it was communicated and, and again why didn't anyone from race control ping out a message to everyone saying full points will be awarded all of this could be avoided you know they, they have the ability to broadcast that message to all the teams and to all the tv crews around the world and the message from race control flags up at the top of your screen about incidents being investigated or noted why not just ping up a message saying article 6.4.9.8 point whatever it is full points will be awarded why not put that on 
very early yeah. doors. You know, the, it's a uh, communication again. So let's hope they uh, they learn from this and improve from it. And uh, and certainly on the safety aspect with vehicles at the side of the track. But congratulations to Max. Congratulations to the Red Bull team. It's uh, it's been a job well done. With the caveat of the the cost cap and and not to labour the point too much because I think we haven't had all of the um, information yeah. out yet. Uh, eight out of the ten teams, uh, or seven out of the ten teams, were in perfect compliance. A few paperwork or late filing irregularities for Aston Martin and Williams early on in the process, but to all intents and purposes, nine out of the ten teams were well in on the cost cap and, and all okay. They get a tick and they get a certificate to uh, to pin on the fridge when they get home. But Red Bull were guilty of a, a procedural and minor overspend. Now. A minor overspend is 5%, so on a budget of 140-odd million pounds, that's 7 million pounds they could have overspent. The regulations have teeth, according to Ross Braun. The teeth could include deduction of points in the season in which the overspend took place. So given how close the championship was in Abu Dhabi, technically the FIA have the power to dock Red Bull a few points and to dock Max Verstappen a few points. I don't think they're going to do that in truth. I think it would just uh, be far too controversial to take Verstappen's championship away from him this far after the the fact it would just make a mockery of uh, of the sport in terms of, well, you can cross a line and win, but you don't really know until a year later if you have or not. I mean, Red Bull were, were very quick to uh, robustly defend their position and say, well, no, what we submitted was under the cost cap. So, well, I'm sure it was under the cost cap when you submitted it. Is, you know, if, if you're asked to audit yourself, of course you're going to give yourself a tick in the box. At the t- time we go to press, Red Bull and particularly Christian are saying they, they intend to appeal and that the matter is far from being over as far as they're concerned. But one comment that I did hear that I thought was quite interesting was Lewis and he said, well, Red Bull have been bringing upgrades to every round and we haven't because we can't afford to. So how are they doing? I mean, he was not directly criticising them. He was just questioning. And I think he was questioning as a driver and perhaps as a fan as well. So the matter's still to run. The overspend in 2021 not only has an effect on 2021 with the upgrades that you bring, but of course it had an effect on the design of the 2022 car. And mm. because the rules are remaining relatively static, that gives you an advantage into 2023, 24, 25, and all the way up to the end of 2025, I think. And, uh, and even then the engine rules are going to change. I believe that the car rules are staying broadly the same albeit with some tweaks so that advantage runs and runs and runs so it's you know there there would have been some argument to say well just spend 500 million pounds on the first year develop an absolute rocket ship and then let everybody else spend five years catching up but because we've overspent by so much you won't be able to the uh, the teeth that Ross Braun promised, and, and generally when Ross says he's going to do something, he does it, those teeth have to come out, I think. The penalty to, to pay, you know, it can't be a financial penalty, it can't be a fine, because you just spend your way out of it. So it's it's a non-issue for the well-funded teams and, and goes against the whole idea of the cost cap. I kind of think it needs to be, whatever the, the overspend was, that needs to be doubled, trebled, maybe even quadrupled and taken off next year's budget cap. So it, it, it affects you long term. Do we double it for the first transgression, double it again for the second, you know, added to get it needs to be a, a compound 
amount of pain so that Red Bull next year are are hampered financially and and it serves as a warning to the other teams so, you know as I say I don't think taking any championships off somebody a year later is the way to do it but it needs to be a, a strong enough stick that people sway away from breaking the rules. Um, that is, as, as I see it, it's the only possible way that Ross can, can deal with it. You know, I, I don't think tinkering with this year's results is going to be the way. I, I think it has to be, whatever it is, applied next year. So it's nice to know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. So politics is still politics in Formula One. <laughs> you turn your back for however many years it is since I've actively watched every single race, and they're still bickering. But, you know... Formula One is Formula One. It's a soap opera on wheels most of the time. They're off to Austin next. What's the uh, likely outcome of that one, do we think? It's, it's always a great race, Austin. It looks like a, a great track to go and visit and a great weekend to attend. It's uh, it's always good value, but I think I don't know, I'm, I'm just kind of looking ahead already. Now everything's wrapped up to a Sergio Perez win in Mexico. I think that'll be quite spectacular to watch because he, he, he deserves that. He's, he's, he's done some good team player work there. So if, uh, if ever yeah. there was a weekend yeah. that, um, that they chuck everything behind Checo to win his home race, that, that would be richly deserved. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, I, I think that would be a, a fitting Tribute to somebody who's clearly been the wingman all the way through the season. He's done exactly what he's been asked to do, and uh, it's a good team player. Good for him. I hope he's being richly rewarded for um, taking the hits he's had to take. As he said after Monaco, he signed too early, didn't he? So he, uh, he should have asked for more money. But I think it was actually uh, after everything, it was Perez harassing Leclerc into a mistake at the final chicane that won Verstappen the championship if that hadn't have happened and they crossed the line and the the actual official order was as they crossed the line then we'd be waiting to crown Verstappen the champion so actually Perez wrapped the championship up for Verstappen so there we are if, if there's a technicality in wordings of rules if there's some technicality in the wording of Sergio Perez's contract that if he wins the driver's championship then he gets a bonus of x million and uh, and Checo if you're listening to this and this is in your contract then I'll uh, I'll take 10% thank you very much if uh, if the contract doesn't say for whom if it merely says he wins the driver's championship then uh, then he's probably on for quite a tasty bonus. I'd, uh, I'd be enacting that clause if I was him. I'm going to have a word with Adrian Newey. He's the expert in uh, exploiting little loopholes. Mr. Loophole, as they call the man who gets you off your speeding tickets, if you are a celebrity. So Adrian Newey, also available for any aerodynamic answers you may want and also available to look into contracts. Bless him. <laughs> So I think after all is said and done, we've still got the uh, the Constructors' Championship to wrap up, but that's probably enough from us this evening. Well, I think we've uh, discussed most things to death, so uh, I don't know. I think if we just kind of wrap it up in the uh, in the way that the Drivers' Championship was wrapped up, uh, bye. <laughs> with with added confusion, and uh, it'll it'll all lie in itself out at the end of the season, and we'll perhaps we'll be penalised for something we've said or done. Uh, for next season who knows we've certainly gone over on the uh, time cap I think we said yeah we'll keep it short and snappy with edits to a minimum and we've uh, we've failed in that miserably so uh, no certificates for us I'm afraid <laughs> it has wrapped up the driver championship perhaps not in the uh, the way in which it had been envisaged but then again when is it in the last couple of years Verstappen does seem to be the expert in uh, not just doing it like drivers normally do it so it's always just a little technicality but hey you know two championships is two championships and you can't argue with that so yeah it's been good fun I've, I've enjoyed watching the 
highlights. I don't watch all of them, but I have I have enjoyed watching these ones. It's um, interesting, if nothing else. So thank you for that, Jim. It's been great fun talking to you both, and uh, we look forward to uh, a slightly more uh, regular edition of the Formula One podcast next time. So from me, Dave, it's been fun. Thank you. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Uh, from me, Graham, it's good night and uh, take good care. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.